It's the 60 Go Podcast presented by Men's Sports. I'm joined by Damien Seabold. Seeds, how are you, mate? I am good, Tom. Also joined on the phone by Andrew, who is the man behind the Rugby League eye test. Andrew, how are you, mate? I'm doing very well, thank you. I uh, appreciate you having me on the podcast this week. Not a problem at all. I just want to ask you, how did this all start for you? Because it's a fantastic website you've got. I've been a fan for a long time. How did it start for you? Uh, it sort of started by accident. So um, I'm a data analyst by trade. That's my, my day job. Um, so... I'm always looking at numbers and visualizations and things like that, so um, second nature to me. And I just started doing it as a side thing to improve my fantasy um, fantasy rugby league. So I played super coach and NRL fantasy and just tried to use some numbers to get ahead there. And it started out that I had a lot of data with me and I was doing some analysis that was not really super coach related or fantasy football related and started looking at it. And then the thing that probably kicked it off the most was during the uh, 2020 season when we started getting some... Um, comments in the media about how the six to go, um, so six again ruling was uh, you know, doing so many things for the game, there were more tries, more more line breaks and things like that. And so I started just looking at the data and seeing, you know, is this actually the case? Is, is, it, is the game any better? What's, what's actually changed? Um, and so that sort of kicked me on to, to putting on a website. I was just posting things randomly on Twitter, but, you know, there's only a, a 280 character limit there, so it was difficult to put the context, correct context in. So... Um, I started up a website just doing some uh, analysis on the game and just tried to do something different than, than what's available. Andrew, mate, it's Damien. I absolutely love it. Like, to be honest, I'm a footy nerd. I'm a statistical analysis nerd. So, you know, I, I coach at a, a lower level and as many stats as I can get hold of, even at the, um, you know, local A-grade level, I use, I consume. I, I just love it, mate. I think it's unreal. And, um, you know, the big thing for me is, it, it puts a lot of theory behind what's happening and it helps people understand exactly why certain things happen, where the trends come from, and it gives you a better understanding of exactly you know what's happening in a game of footy. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the, the one thing I, I always like to point out is that I'm not saying that you, you know you can you can run a rugby game, rugby league off a spreadsheet or it's it's a, it's a purely statistical game like something like baseball, but it's also not the exact opposite. You, you can draw trends and um, do really good yeah. analysis based on statistics from the game. It's, it's, it's part of uh, uh, sort of like a, a strategy uh, or a coaching um, outlook, That's not right. necessarily the whole thing. It's, it's going to feed you insights that you think that might be applicable in uh, different areas of the game. And, and just to pick up on you know, one of the comments you had then, it's looking at trends. And that's the thing. And I don't think anyone who really knows anything about rugby league would honestly believe that there's coaches out there who just coach straight from a, you know, a spreadsheet or um, a PowerPoint presentation because there's a lot of rubbish that gets talked in, in the media about certain coaches. And, you know, I think the, the key thing, though, is you look at trends. You work out, all right, well, what's happening in a game? Now it's the coach's job to work out why is that happening? What can we do to fix it or improve it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's about using every bit of knowledge that you have, every bit of information you can, and, and getting enough knowledge out of it. Um, one of the, the there's a um, analyst, a guy who used to work for the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's now head of stats bomb in the US, and he writes for the Athletic. His name's Seth Partnow, and one of the things he talks about with analytics, it's the art of being less wrong. And I think that's a really great, a really great phase, and something I, I tend to look at as well. But a lot of this analysis, it might tell you what you already know. I think you, you guys talked last week about South not having great. Um, not getting downfield a lot in their first tackle because of their back three. And, you know, you watch the game, you can see that. But it's really great to have data that backs that up. And you're not just doing it on, on your thoughts or your vibes or 
what you're seeing on the field. You've got some numerical evidence that, that backs it up. Well, we will just touch on that. Is that a is that a major stat for you, that the fact that South are consistently the worst team in the league this year of where they start their first tackle? So is that a glaring issue to you? I, I think given the, the how weak their forward pack's been this year through injuries and suspensions or whatever the reason may be, that it makes it a lot more difficult for them. Um, and, and we know Latrell comes in and out of games, and but that's part of what makes him such a great player. Um, but then we've got Alex Johnson on the other side who's not necessarily going to make a lot of yards coming out of his own area. So it does put them on the back foot. I, I think it really comes down to the team composition and how they're playing. Um, some teams will use their back three a lot like the Knights. Some teams don't like, like uh, Souths. And previously, in previous years, it's been okay because they've been able to get downfield with their, their middles. But um, that's been a lot more of an issue for them this year. So I think in the end, it's just sort of, it depends uh, on a bigger picture. Do you think that they're aware of that? Like, how 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 big of a issue? So. Well, how big of an issue do you think that they feel that that is? Because there was rumor in, during the week that they were going after people like Dom Young. So, and and we we know that over the years they've they've tried someone like Josh Mansour out the back, who's a legit meter eater as far as wingers go, but obviously didn't work out. And they carry Alex Johnson, like Steve said last week, because he's a noted try scorer. Do you think that they're aware of that issue? Uh, I, I hope they would be because I think that's that's it's such an easy way to get started in your sets, and you can see how well teams that have the strong back three. And again, if you look at Penrith and how much they suffered against the Eels when Dylan Edwards wasn't there, uh, it, it's it's a big part of their their, their system as well. So I think you know, a lot of it again comes down to coaching philosophy and strategy and how they want people yeah. to feel roles. But you know, being able to start you know five or six meters downfield than they are currently would would probably solve a few of their problems and not put them on the back foot. Was there anything over the weekend that stood out to you? Um, the one thing that, I mean, it's not necessarily a statistical thing, but just watching the, the Sharks-Roosters game, the way that Canola sort of, it was almost like they played not to not to lose rather than to try and win the game when um, when Tedesco was off the field in the sin bin. There's a, there's a uh, play, I think, about, with about 22 minutes to go, and they were about 10 metres out, and the Roosters had probably five people on the right hand of the side of the field, and most of them were playing out of position, and then Blake Braley took the ball short side yeah. and you can see Nico oh, I, I just like, yeah. threw his arms in the, in the, up in the air. It's just that, that 10 minute period just sort of felt almost like the South that like, summed up the Sharks season that they struggled against top eight to eight teams and they just were trying to win it to not lose the game rather than to try and win it. Oh, I personally think someone like Matt Moylan would have uh, come in handy in that 10 minute period, but that's uh, you know a discussion probably for another, yeah. another pod. Um, Matt, I like what you said before about it's, it's about the bigger picture, isn't it? And, and use all the different stats that are available to you to work out what's the best um, fit for you and your team. As a coach, every coach has a different philosophy. Every team has a different style or, or a mode of playing. And I think of it as, um, you know, I had the salary cap explained to me a number of years ago, and it stuck with me for a long time. It's all about the balance, and it's all relative. So, you know, you might look at a team and their salary cap, and, you know, someone might argue that a player is getting paid 200 grand more than what they probably deserve. But then it all becomes balanced out because you might have two or three rookies that are just exploding out of the ground and between them, they're on 500 less than what they're probably worth. So when you balance it all out, whether it's statistics or a salary cap, the team that gets the fit right is normally the team that's up there at the top of the table. Yeah, I think and, and it's about, about having players fit, fit their roles as well. I mean, you always talk about players, you know, who's overrated, who's underrated, who's not performing to their expectation. But sometimes that expectation is probably a bit isn't necessarily in line with what the coach is looking for them to do. Of course, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the one off the top of my head. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of time players are asked to do a role and that either limits what they can do or 
puts them into a role where they're trying to do more than they actually can. So, uh, again, there's a lot of nuances into into these things. And as you mentioned, the the, the way teams build their, their, their lists from the salary cap um, is a big part of it too. Andrew, just on... I want to talk about the Broncos and their defence, but also Panthers. If you just look at the numbers of points conceded, Panthers have put together one of the all-time seasons. It's been really, really impressive. Uh, and they've got they've got the Broncos covered as far as points conceded. But as far as your stats go, would you say, would you bank on the Panthers' defence or the Broncos' defence? Well, I think you'd have to be a very, very, um, it'd be very contrarian to go against the Panthers at this stage they've just they've got the ones on the board they're, they're by far the most dominant team and I, I, even still I can't imagine anyone besting them on grand final day at the moment but I think the Broncos defense is, is possibly being overlooked a little bit um, and that's not just because they held Melbourne to twenty to, to sorry, zero points on the weekend the, the thing that I see about Brisbane is that their, their goal line defense and their red zone defense is really strong they've had a lot of Playables inside. Sorry, they've defended a lot of playables inside twenty this year, which is not something Penrith does because we all know how much they dominate field position. They work the ball downfield. They don't generally give up a lot of um, possession close to the line, whereas the Broncos do. So if you look at the way, look at the number of times the Broncos have been inside an opposition's twenty-meter zone versus how many times they've been they've defended it themselves, they're actually a net of one hundred twenty-one playables behind. So they've defended one hundred twenty-one playables more inside their own twenty-meter zone than they've had in attack. Um, but yet, Penrith, they're plus 317 for the same stat. So 317 times they've had more they've had more play the balls inside 20 than they've defended. So their numbers defensively are pretty pretty much the same, and their attacking numbers are almost identical. Um, but yet, Penrith has that, that field position. Brisbane doesn't, but they've defended it really well. So I had a little theory on that one. It's... So in in my mind and what I've observed and, you know, looked at stats as well and, you know, just the eye test, I personally think the difference there is... Uh, I actually reckon Brisbane, not that they allow teams into their 20, but they're almost happy to concede metres because they know that their goal line defence is so good. Their line speed is spot on. And you watch one of the things that they do. They've mastered the art of going early. So they're actually almost a step or two in front of the ref before they play the ball, but it's all about timing. So they're almost a metre behind to start with. So the illusion of, yep, everyone's on sides there, and then they're taking off, and they're nearly a step or two you know, of a head start before um, the play the balls come through. So watching Brisbane, I almost think that they're happy to concede some metres into their 20, whereas Penrith really like to get up and dominate and get physical and, you know, whether or not there's a stat that backs that up. But that's um, that's always been my theory around why Brisbane have so many more play the balls inside their 20. Well, there probably is. And there's this is probably why it'll be fascinating if they both meet in a grand final, which they probably should. Uh, the fact that if we go back to the stat about where each team starts their first tackle, so Penrith is right up there, they're number two, but the Broncos are actually third worst, and now they can carry that because they've got such a great forward pack. But, Andrew, do you think because they're the third worst, that will feed into the Penrith defensive mentality because they'll almost choke them in their own 40? Yeah, yeah I think that's the one team that's, that's I mean, the, the team that's going to be an issue for everyone, but I think that's one issue where they'll, they'll need to, to be on their game that if they do meet in the grand final is, is making sure they start their sets quite far down the field. But just going back to what Damien said, I, I absolutely agree. I think they're happy to concede metres because they know once they get that close to the line that they can hold teams out. The defence is strong, especially in the middle. They haven't 
um, conceded a lot of trades through the middle, so that's something they, they can really bank on. But yeah, I think Penrith will, will be a challenge for them, obviously, but the, they will want to start the ball further downfield because I think the middles probably won't make as many metres as they would in a yeah. traditional game. Especially against Penrith. I mean, they're, they're so good, and we all speak about how good they are. Over the, the last couple of years, I've almost um, you know formed the opinion that they're a little bit like the, the storm for that golden period when at the end of the day Cameron Smith just played in a dinner suit most weekends they did enough to get themselves to where they wanted to be and then all of a sudden semi-finals hit and it was you know all systems go for me Penrith have really only properly ripped in a couple of times this year you know they've won a lot of games they, they, they appear so much better than everyone they're not conceding points but you know I, I personally think there's only a couple of times where they flick the switch so I, I reckon there's a bit there um, a bit more in Penrith to come is there, is, there, is there anything in that that their performance on the weekend against the Warriors was better than previous weeks? Like, have they? Do you think that they've gone to another level over the past couple of weeks? Um, unfortunately, I didn't see a lot of that game, so I can't comment too much on, on that. Um, from what I did hear on the radio, it sounded like the Warriors probably held up uh, defensively a little bit better than most teams would in that situation. Yeah. But um, I think I think Damien's point about them not not putting not putting in one hundred percent for most of the season is probably probably accurate. I think you know when you're this good and you've got you can roll teams quite, you know, the drop of a hat, um, even when some of your, your best players are out. I think once they, they, uh, if they get Luai back and they um, can, well, I think they'll be in a good position for the, for the last couple of games of the season. I think they can turn it up a little bit. Well, I'd even go back to, like, you know, I make it pretty obvious I'm a fanatical Parramatta fan and I go back to the grand final last year when Parra was on a wave. Obviously, I thought we were half a chance. Uh, but even people who don't, didn't go for para uh, and just footy lovers, they all gave para a chance. They thought they might sneak up and, and get them. But then all of a sudden, come grand final day, the, the Penrith Ford pack found another gear and absolutely smashed para. Um, I just I can see that coming again. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think this is this is one of the reasons why I sort of harp on defense as well. Is that you know in these sort of games. You, you, the best teams are only going to give you what they want to give you. You're not going to get the sort of uh, opportunities you get against, say, like your, your, your Titans or the Dolphins or the Tigers. So you're playing against these teams that are remarkably good defenders, and so that's why I was bringing up that point about Brisbane. Is that you can get close to the Brisbane to Brisbane's goal line, but you're not necessarily going to get through it. And we saw Melbourne really struggle on the weekend. I know they aimed a lot of their kicks um, for Xavier Coates, but still they, they couldn't get through the line in 80 minutes. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I think you know, teams that are really focused on sound, solid defence like like Penrith and to an extent Brisbane, Brisbane this year, they're the, the, the teams that are, uh, are going to do well. And I think that's why Parramatta really couldn't compete with them in the grand final last year. Can I ask you about Newcastle? There was a point during the year if Newcastle lost to the Bulldogs and Adam O'Brien was probably lining up at Centrelink the next week. Since then, they haven't lost a game and have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, what's changed in Newcastle? Well, again, again, the thing that I point out is that their defense is excellent. So if I look at some of my some of the, the metrics I look at, the defense, um, I mean, even just on an average points per game conceded since I think about round 18, they're pretty much in line with Penrith. Um, their defense has, has been strong. Um, and I, I know I've listened to your podcast the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about how well Calum Pong has been playing and absolutely he's been playing the best player in the competition. So that always helps. Um, but just the, their ability to withstand pressure, um, they didn't do it all the time on the weekend against Canberra, but they, they managed to do it when it was when it mattered. So, um, again, I think outside of those top four sides, they're the only one that I think you'd, you'd see in a, um, possibly in the prelim in the grand final. Um, I don't know if I'd pick them over the Warriors in New Zealand this weekend, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were managed to get up. That's Yeah, oh, that's a tough one for them, isn't it? Heading over to New Zealand, uh, you know, we think Sean Johnson's going to play. There's going to be that mm. much emotion, that much support over there. 
if Newcastle can find a way to um, win that game, I, I think they can make a grand final. But I don't know if they they win this week. But the problem for Newcastle, I I think the I I will tip the Knights this week against the Warriors. But the, they will have had a 90-minute game against the Raiders, highly emotional at home. They would have flown to New Zealand, beat the Warriors, and then have to fly to Brisbane. So to make a grand yeah. final, it's going to be tough. Oh, and that's what I mean. That, that's why this game is is so tough for them. And, and I honestly believe if they can get through this one, they could make a GF. Because, you know, how can you rule them out after the run they've been on? Yeah. But, it, it, you know, stats, it's so interesting. We spoke about um, how they can be misleading. Or you can you can basically twist a stat to suit any argument you want, really. And... And you mentioned it, Andrew, around since round 18, the Knights have had pretty much the same defensive record as, as Newcastle. Uh, sorry, as um, Penrith. But what about the 18 weeks before that? You know, there's always different ways you can twist and, and look at um, look at stats. And that's why they're so interesting. And that's why they're so thought, uh, thought-provoking. Because I do think that um, the media drives a lot of agendas in regards to what we think is happening and what the perception for the public is. Um, you know, the media would have you believe that um, Campbell Graham was the best defensive centre in the history of the game. I remember looking at um, Origin Period and myself and Tom, we had a little chat about it and, and we brought up the stat that at that point in time, Bradman Best was statistically the best centre in the comp defensively and Campbell Graham was actually one of the worst in regards to missed tackles. So the public get things, you know, misconstrued by the media. Then you have some stats that you can go and have a look at and that's why I really think that stats are a great thing. And, and what you're doing with that website, mate, it's for footy lovers, it's unbelievable. Well, just on that, Andrew, do you sometimes look at the public perception and go, you're way off here? Yeah, not, not necessarily in like a combative way, but it's more like an informational way. It's like, you know, you'll, I'll see something. And again, the, the set restarts from six again era was, was one that was constantly coming up. You'd be hearing people coming out and saying how, you know, the set restarts have sped up the game and it's done this and done that. And, you know, and in the first season, all it was doing was basically every time there's a set restart, teams were just running a structure again and you were getting an extra three or four hit-ups. So, yeah, it's sort of like there's some narratives that come through that, um, yeah, it's nice. It's sort of like, I don't, I don't want to sound like myth-busting some of them, but it's sort of like, yeah. it sort of sparks my curiosity in my brain and, and I start thinking, you know, you know, is there a way you can prove or disprove this? I mean, I think the defensive one's a really tricky one because... In rugby league, there's not a lot of defensive stats, and uh, things like tackles don't necessarily correlate with with win- like making a lot of tackles doesn't correlate with winning a game. If you're if you're making tackles, you're either you know either don't have the ball or the opposition's running at you a yeah. lot, and so there's probably a reason that's the case. So, um, well, there's uh, no there's no trying to, way, trying, to, trying to yeah trying to find a way to quantify defence is really difficult. There's no wrong decision stat, is there? Like, there's no, oh, Campbell Graham's made four wrong decisions yeah. this game. Like, so, for a while, and I don't see it as much anymore, but for a couple of seasons, we would see there was a tri-cause stat. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was yeah, a yeah, great the, one. The, yeah, the providers have um, tri-cause and line break causes, which is one of the things I do include in some of my stats. So, you can see that. But ultimately, that comes down to whoever's watching the game. Yeah, and what their opinion is. This person... Let this try in when it might actually be because someone was in the wrong position three three uh, positions in, yeah, yeah. and then so they had to cover for them. So in the end, it's probably more not necessarily a true representation of what the exact cause was, but it's yeah. probably the best we're going to get in such and a it's complex so game. It's so true. It's so true. So often, um, you know, when tries are conceded on an edge, people are, are really quick to to blame the edge, and you know, sometimes it is the edge is, is issue. But the majority of the time that there's a try scored on an edge, it's because the middle is so weak, so loose. They're not working hard enough. They're not getting that line speed and, and that inside pressure on, on the halves. So it's giving them the opportunity to execute on that edge. So, you know, again, it's 
yeah. who's making that call. Absolutely correct. And Andrew, you've got a couple of stats on your website that I just want to talk about. Uh, one is the expected points for games, and the other one is the player contribution rate. First of all, the expected points for games. Can you tell me how you come up with this? Um, it sort of just came from, like, I, I watch a lot of other sports, mostly basketball, but I, mean, I watch a little bit of um, football, NFL, those sort of things. And one that sort of came to my mind was watching um, some Premier League games. You know, they always talk about expected goals. And that just sort of, I was just looking at that and thinking, I wonder if there's a way you could apply that to rugby league. And in doing some of the um, numbers I was doing on a set restart, so I realised I had data to sort of say, OK, this is where each play the ball is. And you can sort of look and see, OK, after this play the ball, what, was the, what happened? Was it another tackle or was it a try? So I looked at that and thought, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And the other thing that, that played into it was looking at basketball, they have, uh, you get points per shot or you know, shot probability and things like that. And so I was thinking, you know, a, a shot in basketball is sort of roughly equivalent to a play, a play the ball in rugby league. You get a chance to, to try and score a try. So I looked at what the probability was on each, on each tackle from, from locations on the field. And I had to sort of draw it up and do a four by four grid to get enough, um, get enough instances of play the balls to make it um, significant. Um, and just seeing yeah, what the probability was, probability was of scoring a try on a particular tackle from a particular point in field um, to try and give possession a value. Because we always talk about how much possession a team has or how many tackles inside 20 they had, but what, what's that actually worth? And, and is it better to be on one side of the field or the other or a bit closer to the posts, that sort of thing. So it was sort of, yeah, just again trying to find a way to quantify something that's always sort of talked about in a bit of a more um, abstract fashion. I love I love looking at it post game because there and there was a game earlier on in the year you might remember it it was Manly taking on West Tigers and I remember it was in the pouring rain and uh, Manly I, I think they scored a couple of late tries to win it in the end and and the score was something like eighteen sixteen twenty to sixteen something like that but then you posted your expected points and it had the West Tigers winning something like thirty to twelve. So in real life, Manly's actually done a great job to get away with that game, and the Tigers are rubbish. But everyone was saying, oh, Manly's terrible, they almost lost to the Tigers. But if you look at the stats of what happened in the game, they actually should have lost by a large margin. Yeah, and that's another reason I, I sort of was doing it as well, because it gives you a bit of an idea of, the, of how the flow of the game went. And you can see where teams had to um, sustain a lot of defence or when they've had a lot of the ball in the attack. And as you said, the Tigers have been absolutely atrocious this year inside 20. Uh, just, you know, execution was, was horrible. But looking at those numbers, you can see, you know, not, Manly didn't have a lot of ball at the end of, uh, in that game, but still managed to, to, to put a few tries on the board. And so it's a good way to judge it against their actual on-field performance. You know, it's, it's still only a, an expected total, you know, what, what an average team would score given the same field position and possession. But looking at how a team performed against that um, expected outcome is is where the real insight comes yeah, from. Yeah, it gives you a good idea of you know, where a team is, is sitting or how they're travelling. Um, Andrew, I've got a, a two-part question for you. The first part is, do you like to have a bet? And the second <laughs> part is, has the stats given you an upper hand when having a punt? So uh, uh, this will probably disappoint you, but uh, no, I don't like to have a bet. Um, so, and therefore, it has not given me an upper hand. Do you have any de- degenerate mates that like a bet that you've you've helped with uh, with stats? I, I have degenerate mates, and I have constantly have degenerate uh, gamblers dump, uh, sliding into my DMs, asking me all sorts of questions. But interestingly, most of them, most of them tend to be about referees and things like that. But um, no, so I don't punt. But I've heard from a few people who've mentioned that they've used the stuff on my site to help them out, and I'm. Um, 
happy for them to do that, but I don't unfortunately punt myself. At the moment. I, know, I know a lot of people have said that I'm probably throwing away a lot of uh, uh, good information that I could use for that, uh, but uh, yeah, it's not something I... I, I tick a few of those boxes. Yeah, Steve's <laughs> might be in there a little bit later. Um, and the player contribution rate, is this a... Is this a this is not a rating of how good a player is, is it? It's not. You could use it as a proxy of how good a player is, but it's. it, it also depends. It's tied back to people's roles as well. So traditionally, um, uh, players who've got the ball in their hands a lot will generally generate a lot of statistics, and wingers and centres, uh, as we talked about before, generally suffer from poor defensive decisions inside, and so try to score on the edges, so they generally look a little bit worse. So... You could say it's a, 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 a you could use it for that, but I think it's for me it's more about judging what the player brings to it, their team and how they can and their sort of value to them. So, do you know who had the best player contribution rating for the year and who had the worst? Yeah, so the best player was Sean Johnson, um, which was actually it was very close um, coming into the last round. I think oh. Hines had a chance to run him down, but didn't. Um, so yeah, he was by far just slightly best for the season. Um, and the worst this season, I think, was uh, Matt Fiai from the Dragons, yep. um, who somehow managed to play 24 games. <laughs> um, the Dragons, and I've had so many Dragons fans saying they, they couldn't understand it. That, and, um, um, you know, I, I, you watch any Dragons game this year, and you could see you know, Paul Billy Burns playing on his edge as well. Yeah. Every time teams ran down that wide, I think was it, it might, might have possibly been a manly game where they ran a bunch of tries down that wing. It, it's. Well, it probably says a lot about where Dragons were at and, and why they were where they were because it, it's clearly a depth issue and, and fans are quick to jump on coaches and teams and, you know, why is this bloke playing and why isn't someone else getting a crack? Well, reality is sometimes the person that we don't think is that good is the best option that a club has. So, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one and I think that um, I'd love to have a look at your top five um, with your player performance and marry it up to the Daily M um, top five when, when that's announced in a couple of weeks. Well, who, is your to- who is your top five? Do you know? Uh, top five players by my uh, contribution rating? Yes. Yeah, yeah um, so top five, uh, Sean Johnson, Nicholas Hines, Nathan Cleary, Cameron Ponga and Reese Walsh. That, that, that's going to be pretty yeah. close. Well, I mean, Reese Walsh will be the only one not there because he, he can't be up there with the suspension. Yeah, exactly. But the, so, the other four, if they're not in the top five, I'll be shocked. So it's, it's probably weighted to spine players as far as the contribution rate just because they touch the ball more, yes? Yeah, so, and so it's also the way it's calculated. So what are, the statistics that correlate best with winning games or also losing games, so your negative stats, yeah. um, those tend to be the highest correlation is with things like tries and line breaks. So obviously they're going to come from your spine players. Um, and then conversely, tries and line breaks conceded come from your, your edge players like centers and wings. Um, just on that as well, I think if I look from round 13 onwards, Kalen Ponga would be like a, a runaway winner. But because he didn't play too much and didn't really contrib- contribute too much in the first sort of half of the season, that's sort of dragged his average down a little bit. So that's why he's only fourth. But I think he'd be pretty close to top or if not yeah. top um, think, um, for the second half of the season. I think most people would agree that um, it's probably going to come down to a photo finish between him and Sean Johnson to, to win the Daly M as Callan. well. Yeah. Yeah. Callan's going to get Just a lot that, of threes. That run he went on late. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, I think especially given that you've got six votes coming from two different judges this year. He's going to probably get a lot of sickness for those games I, too. I agree. And Sean Johnson, again, you know, you think about, well, Adam Fennell, Blake, he probably steals a few points off him when they win and win well. But, but other than that. Yeah, other than that, I think he's getting most of the votes. Wade Egan had one or two games. He might have stole some points. Just back to the just back to the stat on the um, expected points. Was there a game this year that you can remember that was just wildly apart? Like, is there is there a crazy difference in a game 
that ended up being on your expected points, but in real life it was just way different. Do you remember one? Uh, it's, it would be almost any Tigers game from the first half of the season. I, I seem to remember there was a run of three or four games where there'd be unexpected points meant to be winning sort of yeah. 20, 24 to 16, 24, 14 against teams where they were losing 48, 10, that sort of thing. There were a lot of excuse me, uh, big games where they surrendered huge margins but were well ahead on expected points because they were letting teams score from 30, 40 metres out and they were getting a lot of ball inside 20, inside 10 and they couldn't do anything with it. So, yeah. so the those possession. are the sort of teams that don't perform well. Yeah. Does that is there anything that indicates like Steve's and I did our our teams that we thought have the best chance of making the eight next year, right? Is there anything that you've looked at that gives you a lot of hope for a team heading into next year? Of course, South had this epic collapse, but judging by some of the stats that I've read from you, I don't have a heap of faith that the buys that South have made are going to turn this club around rapidly. Is there a team though that you're looking at that has a good chance of making the eight next year based on what they've done this year? I think the one that would be most interesting for me would be the Titans. And it's just purely because they were so dominant in that first half of games this year. And then in the second half, whether it was discipline or defensively just switching off or whatever it was, they just they would collapse. And I think having someone like uh, Hazler in might give them a sort of, uh, might bring them in line. And uh, if they can pick their defence up, they could possibly you know, move into that top eight. I mean, the, the thing that, that, the reason why I think of that is that. Last year, we look at the Warriors, and you think Andrew West is coming along. You know, it's rookie coach, we're not going to see too much improvement from them. But the the job he's done defensively with them and getting them all to buy in without a lot of big name signings, especially that, um, defensively, I think that's where I think a similar thing you could see that from the Titans next year because they've got the, the, the with the ball, they're excellent. But defensively, they just switch off too often. I I agree. I also look at that though and think the eye test tells me that. Sean Johnson was injured last year. He wasn't at his best. He's a world-class halfback at his best. Warriors had someone to steer the ship. You know, I don't think that the Titans have a, a half to steer the ship. You know, they've got four in there, but he is a traditional tough 5'8", who's run first, not necessarily a um, an organiser. So that, that will be the only interesting thing because they've got the forward pack, they've got the strike. As you said, the first half of games, they were really, you know, troubling everyone you know not just the the weak so they were giving everyone a, a fright and they even beat a few good sides during the year um it's just yeah for me my the reason why i'm hesitant with the titans would be i don't know if they've got someone to steer that ship around because you look what adam reynolds did to um the influence he had on brizzy like you know the forward pack was there the outside backs were there just needed someone to unlock them and reynolds was the man yeah, agreed. I think that'll be the, the one area that they, they don't have a, a ready-made solution for. Um, but I think, you know, my, my thought is if they can do this well without a halfback uh, at the moment, if those can show up some of their defensive issues, they should possibly be a bit closer Definitely. to the top eight than they've been. Um, the, the other one too, just touching on um, you know, Tom's last question. Every year there's always someone that is from outside the eight that, that jumps into the eight. Normally you have a look at it and it's that team that happened to lose three or four games by a try or less. They find a way to, to turn one or two of those games around and they go from being 11th to 6th or 7th. A, do you have a stat around you know winning by a small margin and do you have anyone in that book where you think, yep, they, they can turn one or two of those close losses around, they could jump in? Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head this year. When you're talking about like, like uh, the small losses margin, sorry, 
losses by small margins, that actually makes me think more of the of the Raiders issue, who are winning yeah. by small margins. Yeah, and I think there's there's a little bit of luck that goes into that. Definitely. Um, so you can sort of look at that field position through expected points and see you know whether or not teams are getting themselves in position to score and then what the result of it is. But um, there's not something specific that has to sort of call that out. It's funny you say the Raiders because they're the one that um, sprung to mind for me. And I think of the Raiders' 2018 season where I think they lost six or seven games by four points or less. Yeah. They turned half of those mm. around and they went from missing the eight to being top four and making a GF the next year. So they're, they're a funny side. They're, they're always either losing games they should win or, or winning games you've got no idea how they, how they got there. So yeah. interesting one. Yeah, they're, they're a team that I've been sort of covering, uh, looking at quite often because they're generally, like the Titans, have a, 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 a lot of stats. A lot of their stats fall off in the second half, so it's always interesting to see why that happens. Andrew, it's been such a pleasure to have you on today. We really appreciate your time. Like, like I said earlier, we're massive fans of what you do. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen your website, where can they see it? Um, no, thanks for bringing me on the podcast. I, re- I really appreciate it. I just want to say that the best compliment that I can ever get is one you gave me the other day when, you, when <laughs> on the podcast you mentioned that you guys from the Rugby League test website, um, so I- implying that there's more than just myself doing this in the very limited spare time that I have between work and family. So um, I do appreciate that. Um, for anyone who's uh, not seen the website, it's just www.rugbyleagueitest.com. Um, if you search in Google for Rugby League Itest, it should come up pretty pretty easily as well. Um, also on Twitter and uh, most of the other social platforms at League Itest. Um, so, yeah, please uh, follow, share, um, anything. I'm always happy to hear comments and feedback. Um, and it's great to hear from people like yourself who really appreciate what I'm doing and, um, and are able to apply it to what they've seen on the field. We'd love to have you on uh, again sometime. Thanks so much for your time, hey? Yeah, more than welcome to any time. Appreciate it.